Today we have a really cool study out of the book of Proverbs chapter 22. And so I really, I, I hope you guys are opening up your Bible and you're looking at these uh, Proverbs yourself with your own eyes. Because uh, as we've talked about going through the Proverbs, I mean, just wisdom. You know, the, the, the way that God can equip us to successfully live life. You know, if you ever go on a journey, you're heading somewhere, you got your family with you or whatever, maybe you're in a caravan. One of the things that you want to do is pray that everyone's safe, that, you know, people are intact, that, you know, the caravan stays together so that you can make it to your final destination. You know, and that's why it's so cool to be together as a church because God uses his word, he uses his people. We encourage each other. When one's down, there's the other one to lift them up so that not only do we get to heaven one day when we die or God raptures us, but that we enjoy the journey along the way. And so uh, Proverbs 22, look what it says in verse 1. It says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. And so a, a good name is not necessarily the choice our parents made for us when they named us. No, a, a good name is a choice that we make for ourselves. Because a good name basically is in reference to the reputation that we've earned by the life that we've lived. It then results in the association with your name. And so when people hear your name, question, what comes to mind? You know, for example, there's an infinite difference between someone like Billy Graham and Adolf Hitler, right? And that's why parents, they don't have a problem naming their child Billy, but they would have a struggle naming their child Adolf. Why? Because of the way that they have earned that, that reputation through the character of their life. You see, it says right here that a good name, notice again there in verse 1, is to be cho chosen. Now that's interesting. You know, we can make a good name by choosing to live a life of obedience, to love God and to love others. If that's you and if that's the choice that you make, when people say your name, there's going to be a good connotation connected to you because you chose to love God and love others. Ultimately, the good name, it goes hand in hand with Christian character. And what we see here in verse 1 is that we should want that more than riches. And if we had to choose, I pray that we'd rather have a good name and loving favor than any amount of silver and gold. And so uh, prayerfully we choose to love God and others because then we're going to have a good name. Verse 2, it says, The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. And so you guys look at verse 2 and you might wonder, well, why did Solomon write this? And more than likely, God says this so that we won't show partiality to the rich. And neither are we to think less of ourselves if we're more poor, perhaps, than the guy next door. So the book of James, it talks about how you have a church setting and you got a rich guy that comes in. Maybe you saw him drive up in a Maserati or a Bentley or something and he's got a really nice suit. 
And then you've got this other guy, um, you know, you're at the church and he rides up on a bicycle, you know, and whatever, he's got some clothes that maybe aren't the nicest clothes and, and they both come in the door. The, the book of James says, uh, will you show partiality to the rich man? No, the, the point that, that Solomon is trying to make here is that, you know, God made them both and they're equal. And therefore, we should see people the way that God sees them. The Bible clearly teaches that everyone is equal due to the fact that everyone is made by the Lord. No one's to be treated with contempt, even, um, you know, if they uh, work for you. Job has an interesting passage in Job 31 in verse 13 through 15. He says to God, if I have despised the cause of my male or female servant when they complained against me, what then shall I do when God rises up, when he punishes? How shall I answer him? And then Job says this, Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? And so rich, poor, employer, employee, it doesn't matter. Red and yellow, black and white, rich and poor, in the core, no one's less no one's more and so we never we must never forget that and it's just so beautiful it is so awesome it is so wonderful when people are are are, are those are those christ-like christians that love everyone irrespective of race and and you know you know social status and all that kind of stuff and the proverbs it draws us to that Verse 3, it says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And so the prudent person is the one that, that looks ahead to see if there are any potential dangers or pitfalls in order to avoid them, right? I mean, it could be something, and this is a little different, but let's just say you're going to go on, on some journey or some trip and you just pull out your phone to see what the traffic's like. You know, it's just like looking ahead. Now, that's a, a pretty, you know, mellow example, but, but some people have that in them. They have that, that capacity to look ahead and to see, you know, well, where will this lead? And, and Proverbs right here is just kind of encouraging us to have that heart in order to avoid the pitfalls of life because then you hit the evil then you fall and then as a result of that you suffer the consequences and there are many people out there that unfortunately have experienced that but the contrast here is, is the naive person that just plows through all the red flags of warning and falls into the enemy's evil trap and he suffers the consequences you know the lord loves us the Lord wants us to be blessed. The Lord wants us to stay on track and not to stumble and fall. And so he'll give us warnings. Uh, last night, I believe the Lord spoke to me in a dream. And he warned me about something. And so the, the question is, will I take those things to heart? You know, I think the, uh, the illustration in the book of Proverbs can be found in Proverbs chapter 7. You guys remember that it has the story there of the simple man, the, the young man, the naive man who just, you know, he, he, he probably had heard from his mom that it wasn't a good thing to do, but he doesn't pay any attention and he goes close to that harlot. He goes close to the corner where he knows that she hangs out. Next thing you know, she seduces him. And then this one thing leads to another until you read there in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 23, and it says, it, he did not know 
it would cost him his life. Why? Because he didn't heed the warnings. You know, one person said this, and I thought this was kind of cool. It says, Scripture gives blind optimism its right name. Not faith, but folly. Because some Christians, they have that blind optimism. They're like, well, I'm a Christian, and God loves me, and everything's going to be okay, and I don't have to really worry about it. It ain't no thing. And, and, you know, this guy right here, he just says, that's not faith. That's foolish. You know, blind optimism. Oh, yeah, it's all going to work out. It doesn't always all just work out. And so we have, to, we have to be careful. We have to give warnings. We have to do whatever we can. Stay away. Don't flirt. I mean, just a lot of things. Guard your heart. Because what we see is God oftentimes warns us. Verse 4, it says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Now look at that, those, those two things right there in verse 4, if you would, you guys. Look at humility. How huge is that? And the fear of the Lord. I mean, those are like a couple of twin towers, huh, in the Bible when it comes to Christian character. And as we learn to cultivate that type of heart of humility, what inevitably follows is what we see here, uh, riches, honor, and life. And I think of spiritual riches, heavenly honor, and really an abundance of life. And in one sense, it's kind of cool, you guys. Did you know that you're saved by faith? How many of you guys know that? You're saved by faith? And then you walk by faith. Huh? It's like for the rest of your life, that's how it started. And that's how it continues. It's a beautiful thing. Well, in one thing, in one sense, that's how your Christian life started. It started by humility and the fear of the Lord. Like the humility was, I know that if I were to die today, I'd go to hell. I, I know my sin. I know who I am apart from Christ. And it's just an honesty. It's a humility. And there's, a, there's a, actually a fear of the Lord. Like, I don't want to stand before God like this. And so it started that way, and it just continues that way. You know, one of the things that I've learned over my life is that ugly thing called pride. It always wants to creep in. And when I look at Jesus, I just trip out on him because here's God, and yet he was so humble. And so when we have this, it says in verse 4, humility, the fear of the Lord, there's going to be spiritual riches. There's going to be honor, heavenly honor. And there will be life and that more abundantly. Verse 5, it says, Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse, and he who guards his soul will be far from them. And I don't know if you can visualize the thorns, you know, uh, bleeding a person's body or snares maybe trapping their soul. You know, such is the picture, uh, the path of perversity. The NLT puts it this way. It says, the deceitful walk a thorny, treacherous road. And so the counsel here, obviously, in verse 5, is to avoid that treacherous road, we need to guard our soul. There needs to be a, a good guard, you know, of observation, of, of protection, uh, of intervention. 
Any of you guys here ever worked as a, as a security guard? I'm just curious. Any of you guys ever done that? Yeah? I mean, it's different, huh, when, you, when you're a security guard, you know, or, or whatever. That's your, your, your task now. You know, we had a ministry, you know, um, not too long ago, and, you know, you got guys, they come in, and that's all they're, they're doing is they're guarding. They are guarding. My job is to make sure that no one comes you know, through those doors that, that doesn't belong. I mean, it's a different, like, mindset. And what the Bible says right here is if we don't guard ourselves, if we don't guard our soul with that mindset, always having our guard up, then we might end up in this path that, that's thorny and bloody, and there's even traps for our soul. And so, you know, you go uh, boxing and you see these guys boxing and unless they're, you know, clowns, most of the time they got their guard up, huh? I mean, they don't let their guard down because when you're in the ring, I mean, the enemy's there to hit. And so I encourage you to, to guard uh, your soul. One of the things I think of as far as like trying to guard my soul uh, because I know um, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, and I just, you know, I don't, I don't know if you guys feel the same way. But I was just thinking, uh, I'm no match for the devil. I am no match for even the weakest demon. No, I, I can't. I need God. And he's a deceiver, and he's a liar, and he's going to come in. He's going to try to do his thing. So what did the Lord tell Peter, James, and John? He said, watch and pray that when you pray that when you get on your knees it's almost like the lord will show you things that you need to see in order to guard your soul and that's why prayer is so important in verse 6 it says train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it and so some of you here, you still have uh, little kids that are still influential. You know, one of the things I thought was interesting is that in, the, in the, the, the Jewish commentary on this passage, the word child actually can be your child up to the age of 24 years old. And so, of course, we know that as a parent, you want to start them young. But this training... It continues on, even sometimes into the adult life, right? The young adult life. And so what the promise here is, it's a general principle, train up a child in, in the way he should go. You know, such an important truth so that our kids would stay on course. You know, when children are young, they're more compliant. But you guys know very well that when they get older, when they grow up, their faith is then tested and it's a sad thing to see, but many kids, they fall away. You know, they, they do good when they're kids because they got this beautiful golden heart. They have that childlike faith. But when they get hit hard, they're older. Unfortunately, a lot of times they're not there. And so what we see here is the encouragement is that they need to be trained uh, appropriately. They need to be taught. They need to be instructed as a matter of fact, the Hebrew word here is uh, usually translated dedicated. It's the word that they use when Solomon dedicated the temple or when the people would dedicate their house. Um, it, it's kind of a, a cool thing to see the way we do baby dedications here at the church. 
kind of modeled after what Hannah did. And you guys would know what Hannah did. She basically gave her children to the Lord. She said, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him to you. And it wasn't just her giving Samuel to Eli there in the tabernacle. I mean, it started the moment that God gave her a child. And that's why it's one of the most important things for a parent to do is to understand that that's not your kid. That child belongs to God. And there's a lot, I think that helps in a lot of ways, but, but one of the ways I think it helps is, is just to, to, to raise them in, in his ways. There's, there's a dedication, there's an instruction, there's a teaching, there's the training. And training, you guys know, is not just something that you learn academically. It's something that there has to be some hands-on to it. There has to be some life experience going on, right? Training is what we're called to do as parents. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 6 verse 4, it says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. To train, Webster's Dictionary, it says, to form by instruction, discipline, and drill. Right? To teach as to make fit and qualified. It, it uses the example of to direct the growth of a plant. Usually you're bending it, you're pruning it, you're tying it maybe to a little stick, right? So that it, it's, it grows appropriately. And that's kind of what we need to do with our kids too, huh? We need to bend them and prune them and tie them up every once in a while, right? I'm just joking. Probably get some letters on that one. But don't tie up your kids, but do discipline them. You know, do train them. Do teach them. Do drill them. Do everything you can, dedicating them, instructing them, because they belong to God. You know, we want our kids, once they're old enough, uh, uh, to be able to make that decision. And so we need to start young. Verse 7, it says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. And so the proverb here is probably trying to say, be careful with your finances and in taking out large loans. You may end up really like a slave in one sense, in bondage to all those high-interest bills and bill collectors. And so one of the, the struggles that we have in our nation is materialism. We want to keep up with the Joneses, when in all reality, we, that's not where God is guiding because that's not where God is really providing. Uh, I like what one guy said. Matthew Henry said, Sell not your liberty to gratify your luxury. And so the Proverbs, it talks a lot about being a good steward. And we're going to see it later today, even in the area of generosity. But here it just says, hey, um, like, kind of like it says in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, the Bible says, owe no one anything except to love one another. So if possible, man, try to get by without you know, borrowing money. Now, yeah, I think a car is probably legit or, or, or maybe a house uh, if that's where God leads. But other than that, try not to. Verse 8, it says, He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow and the rod of his anger will fail. 
And so you look at this verse right here, and I, and I think really what ends up happening is because of the fact that sin's consequences don't come immediately, we have a tendency to sin carelessly and frequently. You know, we, we think uh, that we can, you know, just get away with it because God doesn't immediately, you know, make us suffer the consequences. But what this proverb is trying to tell us is that it might not come immediately, but it will come inevitably. You know, we forget this proverb and we have to be careful and just heed the warnings. Numbers 32, 23, it says that your sin will find you out. I mean, you can't hide it, right? God will expose it. And we know that if we sow iniquity, right here it says we will reap sorrow. It takes time, but it's God's universal law that we will reap what we've sown. And the classic passage, I wanted you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with this passage, but let's look at it the way it's put in the New Testament, Galatians 6, in verse 7. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season, here it is, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And so verse 7, it, it starts off with just the, the fact that, you know, don't, don't be deceived. I think there is that, that, you know, capacity to think that, you know, it, it doesn't really matter, you know, what I, what I sow, what I plant. I mean... You know, it's crazy the way that we think that we can get away with doing those things and thinking those thoughts or looking at those images or saying those words or, you know, that, the, the different action that we think that we're doing in the dark. And God says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. And then he gives us that same principle. for, And it makes sense, huh? Whatever you plant, it, it's eventually going to rear its head in your life. And so, you know, all of us basically are the product of a lifetime of decisions. You know, uh, sometimes when you're young and nothing, you know, I don't want to condemn anybody, but I, I've been talking to a lot of people who are struggling in their, in their marriage or, or different things, you know, that maybe they had a child out of wedlock. Uh, maybe, you know, they're paying child support. I mean, you name it. There's a lot of different consequences of the sins of our life you know now before you're a christian you know god he gives you a new start so i hope that no one gets condemned by that but when you're a christian you know better and i think the consequences might be a little bit more severe and so for us my prayer is that we would sow good seed that's what galatians tells us it says not only will you suffer the consequences by sowing bad seed but you will reap the blessings if you sow good seed. So continue to love the Lord. Continue to love people. Continue to try to learn the Bible and live the Bible. Continue to try to be faithful. You might not see all the results right now. You know, it might not be something that you're thinking, Lord, 
I just don't see the benefit. God says, listen, don't grow weary. Because one day, if you did it for the Lord, you will reap the benefits of it. Now, back to uh, uh, Proverbs 22 in verse 8. Again, it says, He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will fail. In other words, uh, their reign of terror will come to an end. So that's a heavy warning. Heavy warning. Verse 9, it says, He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. You know, and you can know, you go through the Proverbs and you're going to get blessed as a, as a parent. I think you're going to be challenged in a couple of areas tonight. And even with your money, you know, that money is not your money. It's God's money. He wants you to be a good steward of it. Um, don't, you know, get these crazy loans that you bring your life into bondage. Because one of the things that I've learned, if you max yourself out, then you can't even give. You can't even help other people. One of the things the Lord wants us to do is to be generous. Right here it says, He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Now I thought that was interesting, to have a generous eye. What do you mean a generous eye? And basically what that means is that you're actually just looking for ways that you can bless people with your generosity. You're actually looking for opportunities. You're actually looking for genuine, genuine needs. You're not just waiting for someone to ask you. You're not just waiting to stumble upon a person. You are actually searching for those who have needs. And, you know, I think in the back of our mind, we know, we know that we here in America are rich. We know that there are many people out there who are dying of hunger. We know all it takes is just a little bit of looking and you can find somebody that you can help. And that's what this proverb says. And it says that if you do that, if you have a generous eye, it says that right here, then you will be blessed. What is a blessing? At the end of the day, what is a blessing? It's God's goodness coming down from above somehow, some way on your life. I'm telling you guys, you can't outgive God. But, but beware, man. And I know I have to tell myself the same thing. Be so careful that, that you don't just consume it all you know, for yourself. You have to have some that you're, you're giving out. You know, Acts chapter 10, uh, 1 and 2, it gives us a great example of an individual that was blessed by God. His name was uh, Cornelius, and it says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household. The Bible says, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. And so here's a guy, he was Italian, you know, he's from the Roman regiment, he was a centurion. Um, the Bible then later says that his alms, they went up to the Lord. And the Lord saw it. And so as a result of that, you guys read on in the story in the book of Acts, you guys know, huh? He was the first full-on Gentile, him and his family, to be saved. 
that when Peter went to preach to them, Peter didn't even have to finish preaching, man. The Holy Spirit just came and filled them. And they didn't just get saved. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and it's so cool because it, it seems to be like we read in the proverb, because he had a generous eye, because he was so you know, gracious and with his benevolence and donations and charity to the poor, that God saw that and God blessed him. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God will bless you if you go looking for someone that you can help? He will. He will. Not that you're doing it for the blessing, but because you just realize, you do it because you realize this makes my father happy. So we have to learn from these things. Verse 10, it says, cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. And so when I was reading this verse, I thought immediately of Genesis chapter 21, and you got the story of, of Ishmael and, and Isaac, and what ended up happening was Ishmael was a little older, um, and he started scoffing at Isaac, man. He started mocking him. He started causing trouble. And as a result, you know, God said, okay, it's time. You, this person has to go. And later on, we see in the book of Galatians that he was a picture of the flesh. He wasn't a child of promise. And so he had to go. You know, earlier, our Pastor Chuck was talking about a time in Murrieta when there was a lot of strife there in the conference center. And he said that, you know, he didn't understand why is this not right, what's going on. And so he started doing some research, and they eventually pinpointed it to an individual who was just divisive. And so Pastor Chuck sat down and talked with him, and the guy, sure enough, that was his heart, so he asked him to move on. You know, you cast out the scoffer, and, and the strife ceases. You know, it's cool when a church grows, and you have all those people that come praise god but every once in a while it's a true it's a cool thing they call it a blessed subtractions sometimes there needs to be pruning because their heart's not in the right place verse 11 it says he who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips the king will be his friend and again you guys when i look at this verse right here i mean to me, I'm like, man, these are big things. Think about this. Purity of heart. Purity of heart. Think about that. You know, in relationships, in whatever it is, you know, you got a, a brother and a sister at church, and they're, and they're single, and, and this guy is not, you know, thinking sexually. He's not thinking anything other than this is just my sister, a lover in Christ. I mean, just the purity of heart. Heart. What a beautiful thing. And then it says right here that he has grace on his lips. Grace on his lips. And when I read that, I think of the passage in Colossians that also talks about that. But, but grace on his lips to me is like, man, just kind words, you know, gracious words, you know, forgiving words, and even sharing Jesus' words. I mean, what an awesome combination. Pure heart gracious lips it says right here the king will be his friend and that's an interesting thing because i know back then you know they're thinking of the the literal uh, king but but to me i was just thinking about jesus how how he's he 
even he is drawn, even he is, is pleased with people like that. Verse 12, it says, The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the faithless. And so a couple of different interpretations on this. So one of the things that um, I kind of lean more towards is the, how the eyes of the Lord, usually they refer to God's omniscience and his oversight. And basically what we see in the end is that truth is preserved, that truth will prevail. Some commentators even say that this is in reference to how God has preserved the Bible for us, right? I mean, the enemy has come in. He's tried to destroy it throughout the ages, but, but the Lord has preserved it. And on the contrary, he overthrows the words of the faithless. Verse 13, it says, The lazy man says, There is a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. And we've seen this a lot of times, huh? In the book of Proverbs, God is saying, okay, um, what do they call it? Like, in, how do you say in Spanish, the lazy person? Flojo, yeah, something like that, yeah. Come on, get up, get out of bed. Don't be making no excuses, right? Don't tell me it's dangerous out there. The devil's going to get you or whatever. There's a lion. No, get up, right? Go to work. Verse 14, it says, The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. He who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. And this is a scary verse, man. I mean, you know, I like what Bridges said. He said, adultery is indeed a deep pit. It is easy to fall into, but almost impossible to get out of. For this sin overwhelms the body, the mind, and the conscience. There is no more humbling proof of the total depravity of human nature than the fact that those affections that were originally given for the purest enjoyments of life and become the corrupt spring of such a defilement. And so this individual, um, and we've seen it, unfortunately, you know, even in the church, and sometimes you even see pastors or people in leadership, you know, they, they, they fall into sexual sin, they fall into adultery, it says right here that they're abhorred by the Lord. And that, to me, that's a scary thing. But basically what that means is that God always protects us. God, you know, I, I'm not going to stand up here today and say, hey, I've done it. You know, I've kept myself pure. I, I've never fallen. You know, I'm so good. Absolutely not. I could stand up here and say, God has been gracious to me. God has shown me, you know, to love my wife. God has shown me to make sure I have boundaries. But if the day ever came where I started resisting the Lord and I started, you know, taking my walk with him lightly and I started, you know, you know, basically saying, um, uh, resisting and abandoning God, then probably the day would come where he would lift his shield of protection and I would fall in that pit, that deep pit that's so easy for men to fall into and so impossible to really ever regain life. Verse 15, it says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. And so again, another proverb about parenting, right? And what God is saying here, not only about parenting, but even about human nature, 
that in their little hearts there is foolishness that in their little hearts there is sin and so it's important for us to know that we all have that sin nature even the little kids you don't have to teach them how to lie you don't have to teach them how to be selfish you don't have to teach them how to throw a tantrum it's in them right so foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child but that rod of correction and again um, not physical abuse you know probably my personal conviction is if you're going to spank your children don't use your hand because your hand should always be an instrument of affection they shouldn't be afraid of your hand but maybe like a little rod like the bible says you know a little piece of wood drill some holes in there for better aeration and uh, you don't leave any marks you don't bruise them but you do make it sting you want them to feel it sometimes parents think well i don't have to discipline my kids because you know i want to be their best friend or i want them to like me and what the bible says and we see it as we go through the scriptures is that discipline is a form of love and so we need to do that as parents verse 16 it says he who oppresses the poor to increase his riches and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty and as you're reading through the bible one of the things you'll definitely come across over and over again is god's passion for justice and his heart for the poor definitely definitely like robin hood would steal from the rich and give to the poor this guy right here he's stealing from the poor and giving to the rich and god says hey i'm going to warn you about that he says if that's you then you one day will come to poverty now the next uh five verses are are kind of similar to the beginning of the book of proverbs and maybe it's because uh the lord knows that as we're going through we need to be reminded of how valuable these things are you know it's a cool to see you guys here tonight you know um i know it's the lord who draws the people and you know whoever's watching you know but ah, sometimes i wonder lord do people know what this book is do they really know this is the bible do they really know the book of proverbs is the wisdom from above do they cherish it do they treasure it do they seek you that's why when you read proverbs almost the first nine chapters he's just saying hey come come study come let's learn this because you really need it i was telling henry today i don't think it's necessarily new information but they're just priceless reminders and as god is always reminding us there's probably a better chance that we'll follow through with these things look what it says in verse 17 incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge for it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you let them all be fixed upon your lips now that's interesting because he's saying hey listen really listen take them in and then give them out you know that's what he says right here oh, that they'd all be fixed upon your lips i'll tell you guys this and i can share this because my wife isn't here um i mean she reads a proverb she's read them so all her walk as a christian i think every day right and so whenever i'm like today i was reading a proverb to her i started off she could finish it because they're all there over the years just having read them and so they come in you treasure them and then next thing you know they're on your lips and you're giving them out 
to others. Look what it says in verse 19, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I, I have instructed you today, even you, have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth that you may answer words of truth to those who send to you. And so as you're going through the Proverbs, you're just, Lord, I want to know this. I want to know what it means. I want to know how to apply it to my life. I want the power to live this. Lord, because I know that as I'm trusting in these words, it's not like a book. It, it's the God who wrote the book. And so I'm going to do this. I'm going to look for someone to be generous with. I'm going to make sure that I don't take out any crazy loans that, that, that I shouldn't. I'm going to try to, you know, make sure that I you know, stay away from that adulterous woman. I heed the red flags. I mean, you just simple things. This is the kind of parent I'm going to be that you get when you read the Proverbs. You know, Solomon knew the importance of this wisdom from above, and he wants us to then pass it on to others. And then he goes on with four heavy warnings in closing and one beautiful promise. He says in verse 22, Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. And that would be there in the courts of their day, in the justice system. Those were the decisions were made there at the gate. He says, don't, don't cheat them. He says, For the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. And so the Lord here basically says, If that's you, I'm going to get you. So make sure that you don't do these things. Verse 24 says, Make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man. Do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. And so the, the verse 22 and 23 are kind of like, okay, um, don't rob the poor. Don't be unjust. Make sure you're fair in your judgments or else God will get you. And then the next warning is don't, you know, have these types of friendships with guys that are angry and violent and all that kind of stuff because then you get yourself. I mean, you did it to yourself. That's what he says right there. Lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. You know, I mean, you guys have heard it. We've talked about it. Um, you know, you are who you hang out with. You're, you're going to... It's osmosis. You're just going to, it's inevitable. You're going to start picking up their lingo. You're going to start, you know, having the same values. And that's why he says when it comes to friends, make sure it's not that type of person. 1 Corinthians 15.33 is another one of those passages that says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And so if you're hanging out with the wrong crowd, it doesn't matter you know, you might think, well, I'll be okay. No, you won't. The Bible says don't be deceived in thinking you're going to be okay. I mean, it's okay to witness to someone. It's okay when you got family and you get to, you know, you've got your get-togethers and stuff. But when, it talks to, when we're talking about friends, we're talking about people that you're going to go through life with and get counsel from. Make sure that they're Christians. You know, we read something earlier in Proverbs 13, 20 that's similar. It says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Verse 26, another warning says, Do not be one of those 
who shakes hands in a pledge, or one of those who is surety for debts, if you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? And, and we've talked about, you know, being careful um, not to co-sign. You know, especially right here, it says you don't have the money to pay, but you're thinking, well, they'll pay. And God, there's nothing good in the Bible, I just got to tell you, about co-signing. And so maybe you're going to be out there and you're thinking, well, I got the exception. Man, I, if I were you, I would just be so careful. Verse 28, uh, another warning. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. You know, in those days, they didn't have Google Maps. They didn't have the way that we have these land surveyors that mark the land. I mean, uh, by the, you know, the inch, they're the lines. No, the way that they would identify your property line is they would have a big rock, you know, or sometimes it would be a pile of rocks. And, you know, a year goes by, five years goes by, 10 years goes by, 20, 30, I mean, the, and the decades go by and the rock is still there. You know, back in the, in the day when it comes to the land in, in Israel, they wanted it to stay in the family. It was such a, a beautiful thing that just took care of generation after generation. But, but believe it or not, man, you're out there and you got your farming and you got your land out there and there were people that would actually move those ancient landmarks. And so God says, hey, be real careful. Um, of course, we know if someone did that, God you know, saw it and he'd deal with them. Verse 29, it says, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. And, you know, what, what is your work? You know, and I, I, it's always me being, uh, I don't know, dramatic or something. And I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I, I do believe that God has called us, God has gifted us with a certain mission or function, uh, gifts and talents in life. And so uh, some people will take it and, you know, it's kind of sloppy agape. They're just half-hearted. Others will take their, their gifts, their talents, their work, and they will do it with all their might. And they will do it with excellence. You know, I was thinking even of, you know, guys here, you know, maybe you're a plumber, you're out there, but you're also a pastor you know, and yeah, you're a great plumber, but you're also a great pastor. How God is going to bless that. And so whatever the work is, I was thinking about the athletes that, you know, they, they're all gifted. All these guys are gifted. But I think that sometimes there are some athletes that work harder than others. And next thing you know, they win some type of championship. And next thing you know, there they are in the White House. They were invited there by the president because the Bible even says, do you see a man who excels in his work? He's, he's going to stand before great men. And so for us, again, I, when I read the Proverbs, it's a motivation. Manny, check your heart. Manny, work harder. You know, um, not in, a, in an unhealthy way, but, but hopefully in, in a good, balanced way, you know? There, there's a challenge to work hard, to excel, so that we see it throughout life, that there will be rewards will follow. But what about the day that we stand before the King of Kings, right? And one day we will stand before Jesus. Let me read to you what Charles Bridges said. He said, 
Diligence, even without godliness, is often the way to advance in the world. But when we serve the Lord, we will have the honor of standing before the King of Kings. Our whole life should be spent so that we will hear his words, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's the challenge, you know, from the book of Proverbs. I pray, you guys, as we go through life, that we will um, continue to learn these things. I'm so proud of you because I know that some of you guys have been coming through the whole book, man, and what a blessing to see. And so may God give us that grace to be able to connect the dots. If you guys are hurting or struggling, I pray you would know that Jesus is here, um, that he loves you, that he wants to encourage you in your walk with him. You know, ultimately, I think when it comes to wisdom, the Bible says in the book of Colossians that all wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And so make sure you seek him. Make sure you got your eyes on Jesus. I mean, it's so cool to see um, when people live a wise life, they become a wise guy or wise gal, just the fullness of their life, the wisdom. But then when you see others who take their eyes off the Lord and, uh, and it's just crazy the things that we see, the full life, F-O-O-L. What a fool. They had so much there in front of them that they chose not to follow God's word. So God give us uh, the wisdom to be able to do that.